Section 12 of Knickerbocker's History of New York, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. Knickerbocker's History of New York, Volume 2 by washington irving section twelve chapter four it was the opinion of that poetical philosopher lucretius that war was the original state of man whom he described as being primitively a savage beast of prey engaged in a constant state of hostility with his own species and that this ferocious spirit was tamed and ameliorated by society the same opinion has been advocated by hobbes nor have there been wanting many other philosophers to admit and defend it for my part though prodigiously fond of these valuable speculations so complimentary to human nature yet in this instance i am inclined to take the proposition by halves believing with horace that though war may have been originally the favorite amusement and industrious employment of our progenitors yet like many other excellent habits so far from being ameliorated it has been cultivated and confirmed by refinement and civilization and increases in exact proportion as we approach towards that state of perfection which is the ne plus ultra of modern philosophy the first conflict between man and man was the mere exertion of physical force unaided by auxiliary weapons his arm was his buckler his fist was his mace and a broken head the catastrophe of his encounters the battle of unassisted strength was succeeded by the more rugged one of stones and clubs and war assumed a sanguinary aspect as man advanced in refinement as his faculties expanded and as his sensibilities became more exquisite he grew rapidly more ingenious and experienced in the art of murdering his fellow-beings he invented a thousand devices to defend and to assault the helmet the cuirass and the buckler the sword the dart and the javelin prepared him to elude the wound as well as to launch the blow still urging on in the career of philanthropic invention he enlarges and heightens his powers of defence and injury the ares the scorpio the ballista and the catapulta give a horror and sublimity to war and magnify its glory by increasing its desolation still insatiable though armed with machinery that seemed to reach the limits of destructive invention and to yield a power of injury commensurate even with the desires of revenge still deeper researches must be made in the diabolical arcana with furious zeal he dives into the bowels of the earth he toils midst poisonous minerals and deadly salts the sublime discovery of gunpowder blazes upon the world and finally the dreadful art of fighting by proclamation seems to endow the demon of war with ubiquity and omnipotence this indeed is grand this indeed marks the powers of mind 
and bespeak that divine endowment of reason which distinguishes us from the animals our inferiors the unenlightened brutes content themselves with the native force which providence has assigned them the angry bull butts with his horns as did his progenitors before him the lion the leopard and the tiger seek only with their talons and their fangs to gratify their sanguinary fury and even the subtle serpent darts the same venom and uses the same wiles as did his sire before the flood man alone blessed with the inventive mind goes on from discovery to discovery enlarges and multiplies his powers of destruction arrogates the tremendous weapons of deity itself and tasks creation to assist him in murdering his brother worm in proportion as the art of war has increased in improvement has the art of preserving peace advanced in equal ratio and as we have discovered in this age of wonders and inventions that proclamation is the most formidable engine of war so have we discovered the no less ingenious mode of maintaining peace by perpetual negotiations a treaty or to speak more correctly a negotiation therefore according to the acceptation of experienced statesmen learned in these matters is no longer an attempt to accommodate differences to ascertain rights and to establish an equitable exchange of kind offices but a contest of skill between two powers which shall overreach and take in the other it is a cunning endeavor to obtain by peaceful manoeuvre in the chicanery of cabinets those advantages which a nation would otherwise have wrested by force of arms in the same manner as a conscientious highwayman reforms and becomes a quiet and praiseworthy citizen contenting himself with cheating his neighbor out of that property he would formerly have seized with open violence in fact the only time when two nations can be said to be in a state of perfect amity is when a negotiation is open and a treaty is pending then when there are no stipulations entered into no bonds to restrain the will no specific limits to awaken the captious jealousy of right implanted in our nature when each party has some advantage to hope and expect from the other then it is that the two nations are wonderfully gracious and friendly their ministers professing the highest mutual regard exchanging billets making fine speeches and indulging in all those little diplomatic flirtations coquetries and fondlings that do so marvellously tickle the good humour of the respective nations thus it may paradoxically be said there is never so good an understanding between two nations as when there is a little misunderstanding and that so long as they are on terms at all they are on the best terms in the world i do not by any means pretend to claim the merit of having made the above discovery it has in fact long been secretly acted upon by certain enlightened cabinets and is together with divers other notable theories privately copied out of the commonplace book of an illustrious gentleman who has been member of congress and enjoyed the unlimited confidence of heads of departments to this principle may be ascribed the wonderful ingenuity shown of late years in protracting and interrupting negotiations hence the cunning measure of appointing as ambassador some political pettifogger skilled in delays sophisms and misapprehensions and dexterous in the art of baffling argument 
or some blundering statesman whose errors and misconstructions may be a plea for refusing to ratify his engagements and hence too that most notable expedient so popular with our government of sending out a brace of ambassadors between whom having each an individual will to consult character to establish and interest to promote you may as well look for unanimity and concord as between two lovers with one mistress two dogs with one bone or two naked rogues with one pair of breeches this disagreement therefore is continually breeding delays and impediments in consequence of which the negotiation goes on swimmingly inasmuch as there is no prospect of its ever coming to a close nothing is lost by these delays and obstacles but time and in a negotiation according to the theory i have exposed all time lost is in reality so much time gained with what delightful paradoxes does modern political economy abound now all that i have here advanced is so notoriously true that i almost blush to take up the time of my readers with treating of matters which must many a time have stared them in the face but the proposition to which i would most earnestly call their attention is this that though a negotiation be the most harmonizing of all national transactions yet a treaty of peace is a great political evil and one of the most fruitful sources of war i have rarely seen an instance of any special contract between individuals that did not produce jealousies bickerings and often downright ruptures between them nor did i ever know of a treaty between two nations that did not occasion continual misunderstandings how many worthy country neighbors have i known who after living in peace and good fellowship for years have been thrown into a state of distrust cavilling and animosity by some ill-starred agreement about fences runs of water and stray cattle and how many well-meaning nations who would otherwise have remained in the most amicable disposition towards each other have been brought to swords points about the infringement or misconstruction of some treaty which in an evil hour they had concluded by way of making their amity more sure treaties at best are but complied with so long as interest requires their fulfilment consequently they are virtually binding on the weaker party only or in plain truth they are not binding at all no nation will wantonly go to war with another if it has nothing to gain thereby and therefore needs no treaty to restrain it from violence and if it have anything to gain i much question from what i have witnessed of the righteous conduct of nations whether any treaty could be made so strong that it could not thrust the sword through nay i would hold ten to one the treaty itself would be the very source to which resort would be had to find a pretext for hostilities thus therefore i conclude that though it is the best of all policies for a nation to keep up a constant negotiation with its neighbors yet it is the summit of folly for it ever to be beguiled into a treaty for then comes on non-fulfillment and infraction then remonstrance then altercation then retaliation then recrimination and finally open war in a word negotiation is like courtship a time of sweet words gallant speeches soft looks and endearing caresses but the marriage ceremony is the signal for hostilities 
if my painstaking reader be not somewhat perplexed by the ratiocination of the foregoing passage he will perceive at a glance that the great peter in concluding a treaty with his eastern neighbors was guilty of lamentable error in policy in fact to this unlucky agreement may be traced a world of bickerings and heart-burnings between the parties about fancied or pretended infringements of treaty stipulations in all which the yankees were prone to indemnify themselves by dig into the sides of the new netherlands but in sooth these border feuds albeit they gave great annoyance to the good burghers of manahata were so pitiful in their nature that a grave historian like myself who grudges the time spent at anything less than the revolutions of states and fall of empires would deem them unworthy of being inscribed on his page the reader is therefore to take it for granted though i scorn to waste in the detail that time which my furrowed brow and trembling hand inform me is invaluable that all the while the great peter was occupied in those tremendous and bloody contests which i shall shortly rehearse there was a continued series of little dirty snivelling scourings broils and maraudings kept up on the eastern frontiers by the moss troopers of connecticut but like that mirror of chivalry the sage and valorous don quixote i leave these petty contests for some future sancho panza of an historian while i reserve my prowess and my pen for achievements of higher dignity for at this moment i hear a direful and portentous note issuing from the bosom of the great council of the league and resounding throughout the regions of the east menacing the fame and fortunes of peter stuyvesant i call therefore upon the reader to leave behind him all the paltry brawls of the connecticut borders and to press forward with me to the relief of our favorite hero who i foresee will be woefully beset by the implacable yankees in the next chapter end of section twelve recording by greg giordano newport ritchie florida